I know there's been some controversy in the community surrounding Video High's sex ed program. But looking at you, I think it'd be fine to cut it from the curriculum. Stop me if you've heard this one before. A bunch of horny teenagers spend a weekend in the cabin in the woods. Sure, you might think you know where the rest of the story goes, but I assure you, today's movie goes nowhere you expect, and it goes there slowly. (laughs) Forever Evil clocks in at a whopping 1 hour, 59 minutes, and 36 seconds, yet somehow manages to burn through all but one teenager in the first 24 minutes. Mark and his girlfriend Holly and his brother Jay welcome their friends to their cabin for one last hurrah before Mark sells it. He's down in the dumps, though, because Holly is pregnant. Jay tries to cheer him up, but before you can say clot to Barada Nikto, they're picked off one by one by some unseen evil. Mark is the only survivor by running into the forest, tripping over a twig and getting hit by a car. With the help of another survivor, Reggie, and Lieutenant Leo, our final bro spends the next 95.6 minutes trying to unravel the mystery of what otherworldly evil killed his brother, his girlfriend, and their unborn child. Not content with cribbing one horror classic, Forever Evil wears its sources on its bloody sleeves. Evil Dead, Rosemary's Baby, Evil Dead 2, Prince of Darkness, Evil Dead, and even Lethal Weapon. (laughs) (laughs) Will we be dead by dawn as we stare into the gaping quasar maw of madness that is Forever Evil? Join us! dealing with doesn't give a damn about any law and that's assuming you could lock it up i'm gonna find it and i'm gonna kill it stuck here in this cabin in the woods with me warn me how your team <laughs> <up>. <laughs> I thought oh, you guys froze. I thought Skype froze. <laughs> okay. Let's try it again. <laughs> Stuck here in the cabin in the woods with me, Jamie. Somewhere a podcaster named Jamie is screaming. Greg. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care if it's a cult murder crime scene. I want this fucking cabin. (laughs) It's so good. It has a spiral staircase. The property value is very high. Casey? Uh, So high. Oh, no. I didn't think of a funny intro joke. (laughs) Uh... This is an epic. This is like a uh, video high's version of like a David Lean epic. <laughs> this is a long ass movie. This movie is fucking David bloated though. <laughs> <laughs> yes. 
Gregory coming out hot. Oh, I mean, listen, I loved it. I I actually had a great time, but lean this movie isn't. No. Mm -mm. This movie has almost exclusively fat. I felt physically drained by the end of this movie. Like, I enjoyed it, but I had to go straight to bed because I was so tired. (laughs) Meanwhile, I started writing feverishly like I had seen the face of God. (laughs) Well, you saw Yag-Kothag. Yag-Kothag. Yeah, if you walked across this movie's cutting room floor, you would not have to step carefully. There was not a lot left, I'm sure, after shooting. They left it all in, baby. <laughs> they screamed the assembly, and they were like, print. <laughs> we open, as all good horror movies do, on the Windows 95 screensaver. This is the strongest start to any movie we've ever had. It was great. It was such a good opening credit sequence. It was like the original Castle Wolfenstein mixed with an AHA music video. It was beautiful. It was so jarring. I didn't know what I was watching. And I didn't know if we were going to make it out of the maze. We kept taking left and right turns and winding up in dead ends. Like, I don't know. Where was the end of this brick maze? Yeah, there were lots of dead ends. (laughs) Oh, God. God. Please welcome our exchange student, the Crypt Keeper. (laughs) More like Scream Saver. (laughs) It's Halloween, folks. 92 degrees and it's Halloween. (laughs) Yeah, what a sweaty uh, October we're having. (laughs) Sure feels like (laughs) mid-July. The music in the opening sounds like it was written by Kenny Loggins' cat. (laughs) It was a flurry of piano notes. Kitty Loggins? (laughs) Kitty Loggins? Is that what you said, Josh? (laughs) Yep. Joke joke of the episode. Joke of the episode. Call it now, everybody. We go from our Windows 95 screensaver to zooming in on a Texas plate as a woman drags a body out of a building and puts it in the back of her truck. And then we zoom back out. I have to examine my biases because I wrote a man puts a body in the back of a truck. I I didn't didn't realize it was a woman. uh, Until the reveal. Yeah, until the the reveal at the end. (laughs) Wow. I know. Here I am, just thinking that a man can put a body in the back of a trunk. (laughs) Jamie, it's the 80s. A woman can put a body in the back of a trunk if she wants to. (laughs) Can we all take a moment to mansplain feminism to Jamie? (laughs) (laughs) A body gets put in the back of a truck, and then we zoom in on a license plate. Then we match cut to a different Texas license plate. It's one of the most baffling edits in the history of cinema. Cross dissolve. It was a cross dissolve case. Yeah. Oh, that's so right. much better. Changes the whole conversation. Oh. It is still such a like baffling scene transition because the information is just we're still in Texas. Yeah. We were in Texas. Now we are in Texas. Now we continue to be in Texas, but this is a different person. As if there's no other editing way of explaining that. <laughs> How else are we going to establish time, context? Oh, no, well, we, we, we don't want to do that at all. Why no. would we ever do that? No. We just end up in a random cabin where a not-British landlord is talking. Oh. Frasier. You mean Frasier. Yeah, the cranes. No, okay. Was he doing a mid-Atlantic accent or was he doing a very bad British accent? No, he was doing an awful British accent. So then it's settled. Seems like it. Are you sure you want to include the furniture? 
Yeah, we've got no real use for it. You and your brother have kept the place up rather well, considering. I think we'll get a good price. That's all I can ask. It's the first voice we hear after transitioning from one Texas license plate <laughs> to another. <laughs> I couldn't get over it. Just being like, well, yeehaw, old boy. <laughs> I say, yippee Kaye, might I trouble you for some BBQ? <laughs> and then in a movie that is definitively, as we've established, based in Texas, we only hear one Texan accent in this whole movie, and that's Mark. <laughs> Oh, Mark is very, very Texas. Texas. <laughs> They're all very Houston. Yeah. Like, this movie was shot around Houston, which is the place in Texas you live if you're like, ashamed to be from Texas. They build their buildings high in Houston so they can get as far away from Texas <laughs> as possible. <laughs> the people we are first introduced to are Mark, his girlfriend or wife or baby mama-to-be, Holly, and their friends. And the rest. <laughs> and the rest. Uh, and his brother. His brother. Jay. Um... Jay or Jake? Right. <laughs> Julius Caesar. Julius Caesar Denning and Marcus Anthony Denning. <laughs> right. We meet these people and they are the yuppiest of yuppie. They look like they came from Connecticut all the way to Texas just to right. go to a cabin. Well, and Jay is wearing an Animal House sweater, basically. Glad you guys can make I'm worried if we just start breaking down plot points, this will be a five-hour episode. Yes. There's so many things happen, and yet so few things happen. I need to dedicate at least an hour to talking about Holly's stuffed animal cat that she carries around <laughs> everywhere. Yes! <laughs> Holly is dead in the first 10 minutes. Holly's marked very quick. We learn very little no, about no, no. Holly. We learn so much about Holly and none of it matters. We learn that Holly is pregnant. We learn that they don't know if she wants to keep the baby or abort the baby. And we learn that she really enjoys leaning against trees and stroking a stuffed animal cat that no one <laughs> references as weird. <laughs> yeah. And their costumes are insane. Like, I don't even know what Holly is where it's insane well, she's in mourning clothes yeah she's we wearing black yeah. it looks like right. she's got a funeral <laughs> she's she's wearing a series of bags <laughs> yeah. and like you said petting the creepiest stuffed cat and i just didn't know if it was a budgetary thing or like was it supposed to be a real cat and they just couldn't afford one <laughs> what's funny is that this movie takes so many turns but the beginning of the movie really sets up this child as like a major fixture oh yeah that other than save a few creepy effect sequences later on is completely removed from the emotional arc of the movie but the first and 10 completely minutes removed from holly's body sick <laughs> sick you know what's not real common knowledge is that birth controls only have like a 95 percent success factor and you wound up in the wrong five percent yeah that's rough Holly doesn't know if she wants an abortion, and she doesn't know if she wants a baby. What about you? What do you want? I don't know. 
there's a lot of time spent on this will they won't they keep the baby like almost an eraser head like distrust of fatherhood is like sort of how it's set up mm-hmm. i agree with you and everything you said except the phrase a lot of time spent <laughs> <laughs> i mean as much time as is given credence to any other emotional arc yeah, in the movie right. it's the same that- amount of screen time that they give establishing who the teenagers are are they teenagers no no, 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 no way. <laughs> but I mean, are they supposed to be? I have actually no idea how old they're supposed to be playing. Surely mid to late 20s, if not early 30s. But they are called young throughout. And I think, wasn't he referenced as something a boy is doing will affect your life yes. right now when the tarot card mm. reading is happening? I think they are supposed to be like, I don't know. Young. Young. Yep, yep, no bugs. way. No way. No way. The cast of the beginning of this movie looks like they all budded off of potatoes that have been left out in the sun. They are <laughs> the thummiest of people. Fucking <laughs> Mark looks like Albert Brooks in Drive, like at the end of this movie. Like, he is just a, a bloated, bloated man. He looks like Sean Astin in Stranger Things. <laughs> totally. Yes. <laughs> yeah. This movie was pitched to me as a sort of Evil Dead ripoff. And it but, is. And it is for the first 12 minutes. Right, exactly. It abandons the Evil Dead pretty fucking quick. Look, I love Evil Dead, but as far as character development, like, there is much more color in the way they, like, develop the characters in Evil Dead, but less character. The way they develop these characters are, like, they are depressed, quippy, sort of just like white yuppies whose life is sort of going off the track of privilege and wealth because they pursue this life of inventing. Yeah, this is the last hurrah for the old cabin. Oh, no. Well, we haven't used the place in years. And we need the money for marketing. So tell me, just what is this great new gizmo? It's a condom with a built-in time warp. Let's you prevent your own birth. Give me a break. So these characters we meet, they're dry and sarcastic, but also cowardly and are shielding these deep sort of, I'm not sure if I'm ready to be a father yet, anxieties. We're not getting that in Evil Dead for what a great movie it is. Like, we're not getting that level of character development. And what's, like, brilliant about this movie is it fucking hard wipes that shit by minute 15. (laughs) Evil Dead, yeah, okay, maybe not as deep, weird characters that you can read into, but we spend time with the characters. This movie spends no time with these weirdos, and we're expected to care that they are picked off by whatever evil lurks in these woods. Like, it's forever evil. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, and what's also interesting about it is it doesn't lean into any of the tropes that Evil Dead, you know, established and built on. Like, there's right. no punishment for these people. They are Joe Schmoes literally just having a weekend in the woods. There's no, like, oh, the premarital sex, you'll get punished for doing that. Literally, someone goes to take a shower and they are murdered in the shower. (laughs) And then immediately everyone else is murdered. (laughs) If anything, they have, at least by mid-80s standards, very sort of playful, healthy uh, relationships with sexuality. They, like, (laughs) joke about sexuality. Like, no one's a prude. No one's, like, a slut. Hey, Julie. Julie, how do you stand this guy? Oral sex. They're so insufferably quippy. Oh, yeah. they think every line is a gem. It's great. Anyone for a game of Crazy Eights? God, how plebeian. 
I suppose next you want to tell ghost stories around the fireplace. This constant, like, suburban quipping. I, I thought it was great. It was the best writing in the movie where it's it's developing characters, though they're all the same insufferable type of character. But, like, that's <laughs> sort of brilliant in the world of yuppie privilege. They'd all be friends. They'd all have relatively the same sense of humor. They'd all, like, have a, like, ease of ribbing each other that is both sort of funny while also being a little, like, annoying and forced. I really liked it, and especially after learning that by 18 minutes in, they're just gone. They're, like, out. <laughs> they out the movie. Yeah, so exactly 12 minutes into the movie, Holly is dead in the shower from a monster cam. What happened? Did she miscarry is the Which first is thing like, Jay says. harsh. What? Seriously. Yeah. She told that in confidence, man. Yeah. Oh. yeah. <laughs> Nobody else yeah. knew. Oh, my God. Nobody else yeah. knew. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Mark had told his brother Jay she was pregnant in confidence <laughs> The first thing he says. He just announces to the party. Like, yikes. She's laying on the floor of the shower, and then it, whatever it is, cut the baby out of her is yeah. something that Mark points out, which is weird and never comes back. Yeah, if you thought that was going to be part of the gods and monsters running things, it's not. How is that not a major <laughs> plot point that is reoccurring throughout the entire film? Is yeah. that this beast stole a baby? <laughs> My biggest bone to pick with this movie, their weakest where they have to deal with death and stuff around the high concept sort of murder and slasher and monster stuff. Mm -hmm. That is where it really falls apart because the character driven stuff is pretty strong. But then after this fun character development to take a like hard left turn into finding a woman splayed out in the shower gutted there's no panic in the performance no. if they're experiencing shock it's a very well managed shock there's just a like all right let's cool it everybody <laughs> what's happened here like <laughs> in stark contrast to evil dead where like linda dies and ash is driven to madness with grief freaking mark is just like all right guess my girlfriend's dead well hey first off i think that the evil dead stuff does throw us into the movie and it is bonkers and it is staged in a hilarious manner in oh, that yeah. everyone dies within three minutes there is no rev up it almost feels like a marx brothers sketch where it's just like somebody just like turns around and the next person is dead and then they turn around and that person's dead and everyone is just and like then a... they turn around and someone's being dragged out of the door by two twigs literally two yeah twigs. <laughs> yeah i just loved it i thought it was so like it had such a hilarious energy. And, like, I don't think it works in, in like, a classic sense. Uh, <laughs> but I do think that it imbues it with this kind of anarchy where it's just, like, I thought that we were going to be seeing this one group of people dealing with this monster problem. Nope. Oh, <laughs> Anyone yeah. can die and everyone will die, which yeah. I, I love for a horror movie or a mystery, which... 
this sort of straddles. It's clunky and ham-fisted. And, and that's kind of why I love it is because they were just like, okay, this person dies. And like the way that they do that is like, we get a zoom out and suddenly Julie is there hanging with her throat slashed within less than a minute of our first body. When they find Julie hanging there, Robert turns to Lisa and goes like, The rain's letting up so we shouldn't have a problem with the access road. <laughs> <laughs> Which was the funniest line in the movie. I love the, like, where's the blood? And they're just like, who cares where the <laughs> yeah. blood is? Yeah. And then Julius Caesar, Jay, starts getting pulled down the hall by the movie Amityville Horror. Is just at the <laughs> other end of the hall. That's the, that's the reason why they needed to sell the cabins. The British guy was like, well, we've got Amityville Horror in the house and the good evil dead infestation outside the house. <laughs> And while that's happening, the twigs come out and grab Jeeb. And she's killed sort of off screen. Then Jay is killed by Glowy Eye Monster. And then Robert leaves to go find Jeeb. And Mark ends up getting away and finds Robert dead in his car. And it's like the carnage that happens in three minutes is like enough for the whole movie. And you're just like... Well, then where do we go? What does the the rest of this movie look like? I remember being so, like, I was so worried when they find Holly's body in the shower because I had to check because we had just met these cats. The memory of Holly stroking her cat toy and worrying about her pregnancy (laughs) was fresh in my mind. We had just met these characters, so I checked the time. It was at that point that I saw two-hour movie, (laughs) and I just was like, oh, no, there's five people left. They're going to have to stretch their deaths over an hour 48. I was, like, really into the fact that, because we do see, like you said, Josh, sort of the Evil Dead evil cam sort of like a just a handheld <laughs> camera walking through the woods not as effective as the rushing swooping camera in evil dead right the perfect movie that i dreamed of this movie and i want to talk about it more when we get deeper in but it's a movie about people who are experiencing the trauma of surviving a cult ritual sacrifice mm-hmm. and like meeting each other because the like really brilliant parts of this movie later are them experiencing each other's trauma and being there for each other in ways that are not ham-fistedly romantic or sexual like they would be in worse movies and Mm -hmm. then sort of driving each other to the brink of madness where by the end they're wearing like military fatigues (laughs) and about to murder a real estate agent because they've convinced each other it's the right thing to do. I was like this would be the dog told them on because the dog told it like i was like if this ends up being that like they've both just experienced psycho traumatic trauma after having lived through something horrible and have convinced each other that it's a lovecraftian elder one and then just murder a real estate agent this will be the greatest movie of all time yeah yeah. the reason i wanted to bring that up now is because the fact that the evil dead cam is more often used to denote each other looking at the other one i was like are they the real evil are they like the bad is the evil really inside themselves because of the trauma they've both experienced this movie again it like flirted with the edge of like something really fucking brilliant well so apparently the original concept sprang from the idea of 
what would happen if you survived a bad horror movie. Ooh, great. That's a great concept. I would buy that That's pitch. what the writer, because he was like, what basically what ends up happening is the answer to that question is often you die in the, in the sequel or you're continuously sort of menaced by the forces of evil over many sequels. He apparently came from the world of comics. The way he thought about it is like, in the world of comics, if you go through something horrible, then you can become like Batman. <laughs> sure. Huh. And so his concept was like, Mark becomes Batman, and then he finds his Robin, mm. who's Reggie. Uh, which oh, is interesting. I love that, that is idea. Interesting. That is, and I think that they do accomplish that in this movie. The problem is, I wish they had left the horror movie in the first act, or like kept it out of the second act. So Mark runs into the woods, gets in the car, about to get away. Robert's dead in the back seat. A zombie grabs Mark. Mark rips out its eye, runs into the woods, trips over a twig, reaches the road, and thinks he's safe and gets hit by a car. He also acts like goddamn Ichabod Crane in that moment. He gets to the pavement of the highway and is like, I'm safe! I'm safe! I know that zombies can't chase me to the highway! (laughs) Win. Zombies hate roads. <laughs> Have you ever seen a zombie on a road? <laughs> no, you're right. You're That's right. what I'm saying. And then Mark wakes up in the hospital. He is so mean to his doctor. <laughs> Can you hear me? No. Can you tell me your name? Mark Denning. Your full name? Marcus Anthony Denning. How many fingers am I holding up? Twelve! Can you tell me who the president is? Who cares? Could you get these things off of me? I'm starting to panic. In a minute. She asks him, are you left-handed? Because, like, that's how he grabbed her in the ER. Does that come back later? No. 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 Okay. (laughs) I'll add that to my list. Thank you. There's a lot of banter. Like, this is like Italian neorealism in its its evil dead shoes. Right. It really is just, like, real people having real conversations. (laughs) It's as if while they were writing or making this movie, they were asking themselves the questions of, well, how will the audience know who got him back to health? Or, like, how... How will the audience know what, like, how we see Leo the cop get back home? We have to meet the neighbor character. We have to see her reading a magazine. Neighbor character, the neighbor character. Oh. There are so many things in this movie that they didn't need to be in the movie, but they colored in a whole community. This small Texas town they're trying to portray did feel wholly drawn i don't know why they needed to draw it all but they totally drew it it's the last picture show horror edition (laughs) yeah yeah. (laughs) totally and it's funny because unlike shadow creature i was never confused as to who our main characters were right even though we were introduced to a bevy of unrelated and sometimes uninteresting side characters there was never a moment where i was like okay it's not mark and maybe it's just because mark was always wearing those primary colors or something but (laughs) even like when reggie shows up outside the cabin there are so many characters that are introduced in this movie where your first thought my first thought at least was oh well that's gonna be cannon fodder i never thought that the introduction of a character was gonna be they're gonna be the main character i thought they're gonna die horribly at some point but (laughs) like reggie there's something about her in her introduction you're instantly taken in you're like okay it's mark and it's reggie and these are the two people i'm following and i don't even know what reggie's story is yet but i'm fascinated by her well because 
they make her because they make her motivations questionable before mm-hmm. we really meet her. So Mark has gotten away, and then cops show up at the cabin to look at all the bodies. Besides introducing us to Reggie, we're also introduced to Leo the detective who just like walks on the scene gets out of a Studebaker like it was something out of police squad I so bad wanted a like voiceover monologue that was I'm Lieutenant Frank Drebin police squad they say (laughs) you hope you're in hell 30 minutes before the devil knows you're dead well looks like someone called ahead and told him I was coming I was walking into a scene like I'd never seen before like it was a scene that would make Manson puke (laughs) yeah this movie turns into law and order evil real quickly. <laughs> totally but in a way that is like the movie is not perfect but no side character is not going fucking whole hog on this one everyone's playing it up even the the forensic photographer who's just as grizzled as detective leo like they've seen this shit a thousand times peter and leo reminded me of like statler and waldorf <laughs> like totally peter leo what do you got a hand that's what they pay me for it is a town where everyone involved with law enforcement is getting too old for this shit and they say it (laughs) i'm getting too damn old for this babe i know what you mean this would make manson puke I love how in law enforcement in Texas in the 80s seemingly issue dusters. Yeah. <laughs> Not an untrench coated man on the force there. And in your badge and your duster. <laughs> and Reggie is there and she is asking if she can take a couple pictures, quote unquote, for the paper. But then when Leo arrives, she gets spooked and leaves. She's set up three times. And I actually think that they're all really interesting, cinematically speaking. The first time is at the cabin and she's trying to get in. And Leo looks at her and they share this moment. He looks really like concerned and she looks really spooked. And she sort of runs off and leaves almost immediately without saying anything to anybody. And it's like really weird. And that was when I was like, oh, this is our new villain. And then she's brought back when Mark is in a wheelchair, just like sort of being rolled around the hospital. And she's down the hallway and she's just staring at him. And they have a moment that she kind of just like backs out of the room. And that moment specifically parallels the conversation Leo gave to Mark in the scene before or after it, where he said, You know, I caught the tail end of Korea. Not a good time of my life. Managed to miss Vietnam completely. But I was at a party once and I saw a man there, son of a friend of mine. He'd been there. Saw each other across a room. Never spoke a word to each other in our lives. But we knew. We recognized each other as vets. That's the kind of recognition I get off of you now, Mark. And I think I'm right. It's a, it's a really yeah, good yeah. movie for character. Yeah. They were doing all the work to at least muddy this character Reggie's motivation. This young woman with a camera around her neck who is interested in Mark. The first use of evil dead cam for not evil is in the library when Mark is looking through microfilm of other sort of like grisly murders. We get an evil dead camera looking at him and sort of approaching him through the books. And it's revealed to be Reggie. And frankly, the most 
most chilling shot in the movie is like a shot past Mark as she just sort of like walks into frame and stares at him for a good like eight seconds before any of them move. <laughs> and I was generally like, is she the bad guy? Is she evil? <laughs> and then when they finally talk and it's revealed that she has survived a similar experience, it's what at least got the wheels in my mind turning of like, is this what this movie is going to be? Is this movie going to be about people who have survived something traumatic coming together and not making each other better, but kind of like using each other? Like she is the sort of threat. One thing that I don't want to breeze past is the moment when Leo is talking to Mark in the bed and he just goes, I've seen it before. Don't think you're special. I was like, whoa. (laughs) Yeah, Leo, your bedside manner needs some fucking work. <laughs> and that, that whole scene, he's sipping coffee that's obviously way too hot, and he keeps <laughs> sipping it. That was so funny. I couldn't stop laughing because he kept being like, he kept being like, I've seen this sort of thing before. <laughs> <laughs> you think you're special? You're not. You know, there's murders like yours every day. <laughs> <laughs> So funny, which is maybe again, I gotta believe that uh, these movies that we watch, I can only believe that every choice is purposeful and pregnant with meaning. And so, ah, pregnant, <laughs> <laughs> more like pregnant with screaming. <laughs> There's a part of me that is like, Are you seeding? As Leo is sipping this too hot coffee and doing it, but like barely handling it, that he is like not ready for the battle ahead, that he's like knowledgeable, but like weak, too weak to face this challenge. Like it's He's too uh, old for this stuff. <laughs> I mean, at least there was coffee in that cup. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> so we fade out to another cabin where Mrs. Weinberger. Which is my favorite combination. Yeah. <laughs> Medium rare and, uh, I don't know, give me a Merlot. Goes to see Brother Magnus. A Texas mom in her 40s on her 50th trip to the fortune teller. Yep. <laughs> come out here and Billy says, where are you going? And I say, I'm going to see Brother Magnus. And he says, you're just throwing good money after bad. You just can't put a price on peace of mind, and that's what I get right here is peace of mind. She's deeply Reba McIntyre, too. <laughs> oh, she is going full, full Reba, Reba. <laughs> She's like, if I had a nickel every time that damn Billy told me to, and then Magnus at the same time goes, shh. And I was like, oh, uh, <laughs> so, so fucking ice cold Magnus. <laughs> Every character choice is good. Every like choice between like how characters interact with each other to color their own and each other's characterization. And no one is phoning it in. Like no. every ensemble character is living the experiences of their character. And I think it's because a lot of them came from theater and mm. so the sort of glorious overacting I yeah. think carried over and it had a script that supported those types of choices rather than like sometimes like a shadow creature uh, <laughs> where, where a glorious overacting of course adds to the movie but feels wholly and strangely out of place. It is maybe the longest tarot card scene that I've seen in cinema without having my hand held throughout it. Like there have been tarot card scenes in cinema before where they put down a card and the person like looks up with wide eyes and goes, that's the uh, prince of 
uh, fucking knives, and that means you're gonna lose a sibling to knives. I don't know. I don't give a shit about tarot cards. But this was like the longest tarot card scene without More like scarrow cards. <laughs> It it really it doesn't hold your hand. It assumes you know everything about tarot cards, and he yeah. goes from reading hers to reading his own. Yeah. So he's reading hers, and he says, "Something a young man is doing right now will affect you profoundly." And then he pulls the magician, which I don't know what that means. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I think it's supposed to be him. It, it's, oh, oh is he's the magician. He's the oh, magician. I think that's the whole thing. This is a good movie. That makes sense, <laughs> actually. Yeah, because then he has these visions of a spinning coin with the, the Venusian man on it and himself like falling into an abyss ah. to just eternity. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love the I love him falling into the abyss. Is like it's like a still that was been like cut out like in MS Paint. It's awesome. And then they just sort of like spin arted it, yeah, so yeah. That it, like shooting towards it and from the camera. It's like whoa! It's Doctor Who meets the Phantom Zone. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yes, God. The optical effects in this movie are the shit. So good. And the practical effects from this movie are from one of those seasonal Halloween stores that <laughs> pop up in September. <laughs> I don't know. There were a couple that were pretty sweet. Most of them, you're very right. But like, yeah. the the optical effects in this movie are so awesome. They don't look real, but I don't give a shit. Like, it is so clear that in that shot where Brother Magnus is falling into eternity, they were like, "Hey, actor, who is the writer of the movie?" Right? Oh, I'm pretty sure that's oh, the that- writer of the movie. You might, I think so. Brother Magnus. If it's not him, it's gambler era Kenny Rogers. <laughs> <laughs> he looked like Orson Welles' Halloween costume as Dr. Demento. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. But it's they, it's clear they just got him to lay on like a carpet of green and just put his arms and legs up. And they're like, we'll cut it out. Don't worry. It's so... Good. He pulls the death card and he kicks Mrs. Weinberger out. The monster cam gets Weinberger and Magnus is about to leave, but there's a hooded figure at the door. I was so excited. This was like, it's so rare that you see your sort of dreams come to life. All my fan fiction pitting Kylo Ren versus Randall Tex Cobb from Raising Arizona. (laughs) Finally, I got to see it realized. And then we cut to Mark at the library, and he's going through microfilm of other brutal killings similar to the one he lived through. In what is possibly the biggest tonal whiplash in cinematic history. Yeah. (laughs) Before they cut, the figure even force lightnings Magnus to the ground, and it's like this crazy bonkers awesomeness of supernatural action. Cut to microfiche. (laughs) library action reading writing researching (laughs) 
Reggie sort of like is introduced and he finally catches her in his peripheral vision. And then he looks back at what he was looking at and it was an article that says sole survivor of similar attack. And it's a picture of Reggie. They sort of banter back and forth about like, hey, we both uh, survived some crazy shit. Huh? <laughs> She's been living off life insurance for the last four years and yeah. has been just like looking... Yep. For other survivors at various houses, we That's find out. Kind of new money versus old money, isn't it, though? Like, you know. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh my God, it is. She, she's used to working, so, like, she hit the ground running as soon as she, like, didn't have to physically work anymore. She's like, well, now I'm focusing all my energy and, like, solving this greater cosmic problem. <laughs> nouveau riche? More like nouveau ditch in a ditch. <laughs> <laughs> The Crypt Keeper's tired. <laughs> As they're doing it, they get like the nice Final Fantasy VII music that's like, like as they like make eyes at each other. Yeah, my note number one to this movie would be change all music. <laughs> Dis. Agree. Disagree. (laughs) Throw that Casio on demo and let it ride. We get this monster cam while they're talking that comes up to Reggie's ankle, and it is an adorable black dog. We we see this little fluffy, fluffy dog. So smiley. Such a happy dog. Such a cute little hellhound. So adorable. So funny because it's just a cute little black dog. Every once in a while, the Casio music tells us it's meant to be an evil dog, <laughs> which is good that the music's there because whenever the dog has to like sit and then run somewhere, it's wagging its tail because it's just fucking pumped to be in a movie. <laughs> it's so <laughs> exciting. It's so happy to be there. Well, it's like also like a black Australian Shepherd, yeah. so it's not like a big scary looking dog. Just like a dog, it just loves you. Wants wants you to have a good time. They wanted Black Phillip, and they got Slack Chill. <laughs> yeah so to add to the list of movies that this movie rips off mark has a cane now so it's the dead zone <laughs> yeah oh totally and uh he and leo have been working together how long oh time has no meaning in this movie remind me of the transition sh- scene between when we meet the cute little doggo and when they're in the Bronco with Leo, what's going on there? There is no transition. They cut to them in the car picking up Leo. So, uh, Leo, Reggie here says she's been doing some investigating on her own. Is that a fact? So, uh, Reggie, where are you living now? Chateau de Bronco. You're riding in it. Nice decor. Thanks. I did it myself. And Leo is rifling through her possessions in the back seat. Yeah, her underwear. Her just, he's just going through everything in the car, and he finds a picture of Mark's real estate agent, who she says is also hers. Okay. Leo says, let's not do anything stupid, shall we? And I don't know what that means. Right. Like, it's like a threat, re- like I guess. He, what was he threatening? <laughs> it's so bizarre. Because he finds uh, that, let's be 
honest headshot of the yeah. actor who is playing <laughs> playing Nash. Nash, the real estate broker. He finds it and he says, "Hey, Mark, isn't this your real estate guy?" And then Reggie like clams up as if it's embarrassing <laughs> that she has a picture of his real estate guy. And Mark looks at it confused and then Leo says, "Let's not do anything stupid, shall we?" Which is all very confusing. To me, it read like, why do you have this person we don't really know very well and whose motivations have been fairly unclear so far? And I kind of thought that that's where it was going until they sort of like shifted into like, oh, that's weird that both of our cabins were set up by the same guy. Maybe he's in on it. I think that there was probably more of the scene that they cut and then they added Mm. it to ADR to like describe it away. The filmmakers in editing were like, we have to add an ADR scene (laughs) pull up saying like, hey, isn't it crazy? We both had the same real estate agent. Why didn't you uh, investigate him, Leo? For what? Uh, Suspicion of being a realtor? It's like, all right, well... (laughs) And we all laughed. We all laughed. We all laughed. It's a funny line. But it's... Uh, <laughs> Did we? <laughs> we all... We all laughed. We all we laughed. All laughed. <laughs> uh, no, because you're right, Greg. That's what All that scene does is cast suspicion on Reggie. I feel like what they wanted was finding that picture of Nash. We were supposed to immediately put the pieces together that like Nash is central to these crimes and these murders. But it doesn't read that way in the scene, so they needed to add the ADR later. And also, Nash is 40 minutes ago in the movie at this point. Right. Yeah, and in was, one and was scene. Only there, yeah, was there for like four lines and then leaves I mean, he did have that suspicious standing up uh, outside his car to stare back at Mark and a, like, a Casio sting happens. So like, we should have known then. That- also, in that scene presents something that never felt fully formed, like a suspicion between Leo and Reggie, or uh, that read almost like a past relationship. Yeah, yes. that was interesting and never followed up on. <laughs> this movie drops subplots like it's a new waiter trying to carry too many dishes. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, whatever is going on there, Leo, Reggie, and Mark show up to brother Ben Magnus's house through ADR. The movie tells us like Nash is important. The real estate agent is important. (laughs) He's the villain, by the way. (laughs) Leo like steps out and is like, you two stay here. Bullshit. Okay, then stick close. They set up Magnus trying to like give Leo a bunch of information. And in case you were wondering, (laughs) there's a big ass box. In the middle of frame that says stuff for Leo on it. And it is it is facing the fucking camera. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's like it's like just so you know, audience. And then what's great is that they start to empty the box and the contents of the box oh, are oh the my following. God, so really good. Yes. Good. yes, please. One, the Necronomicon. <laughs> oh! The Sumerian Book of the Dead. Two, the gate and the key. Three a book called Lost Gods, and four, a definitely made up, (laughs) but no less amazing, The Chronicles of Yogg-Kothag. No, 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 sorry. That's (laughs) Yogg-Kothag. The Chronicles of Yogg-Kothag. That's Kothag. Excuse me. 
And then a series of well-placed newspaper clippings that fill in the details. It's a beautiful moment of like semi-literary filmmaking. They lift up and they say the gate and the key by C.D. Ward, which is a reference to Charles Dexter Ward, which is a H.P. Lovecraft, the case of Charles Dexter Ward is an H.P. Lovecraft. So like all of this stuff is very sort of like vaguely Lovecraftian. There are literary bases to like all the stuff in this movie. Someone has read a Lovecraft. (laughs) It's so great. I feel perfectly suited to this movie because I've only read the case of Charles Dexter Ward. (laughs) You've read as much Lovecraft as the writer-directors. Exactly. (laughs) This is the movie that I'm more interested in seeing. Once we start getting into this Elder God cultist thing, this is the more interesting thing to me. I mean, cults and like devil worship always going to be interesting because worshiping something evil is so similar to worshiping something good and people understand religion like that is like something that we that we don't need explained beliefs are things that we all hold and so it's a much more fertile ground to mine because what you're basically talking about is something that we've all experienced but the the person doing it or the thing doing it happens to be evil and you've been taken for a ride as trends come and go that is one that will always remain interesting while mark and reggie are rifling through stuff for leo leo is checking out the rest of the house which has been abandoned but he sees the dog outside the window and then he turns away and when he turns back it's gone And that's the end of that. Uh, then they <laughs> see newspaper clippings from 65 years ago. A night watchman was killed. And the suspicious thing is they passed up on stealing untold amount of wealth and only stole the dagger of Yog Kothag. 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 So he was a night watchman, but really it was like he was a knife watchman. Nice. <laughs> uh, so Ben left a note for Leo saying he's coming back. And then we cut to an unknown woman in PJs talking to Mabel on the phone. For a very long time. So I says to Mabel, I says. The Russians put a man on Venus. The first penis on Venus. (laughs) And she gives her sort of like famous last words of nothing exciting ever happens around here. Which is always like a bad omen for that character. And then, surprise, (laughs) she doesn't die. It's insane. I have a question for 1987. Is this what people did? Did they they just read each other magazines on the phone? Yeah, I mean, this is what we do now. Yeah, this is what we're doing on Zoom. Are you kidding me? Look at this magazine article I've read. Don't you like it? Do you agree with it? Here's a joke about it. Like, this is what we are doing now. (laughs) Meanwhile, Reggie is dropping Mark off at Mark's place. And Mark is trying to get it in. Uh. It's the best segue ever. Right. So anyway, Holly wasn't exactly what you call beautiful. Oh! I'm like, wow! <laughs> that was awesome. I was. She so is down. your dead girlfriend, you 
bastard! The mother of your unborn child! Reggie is the master of the fucking cool-off, too. Like, she <laughs> keeps finding ways to, like, get this sex not to happen. It's like, <laughs> oh, I should go home. Uh, yeah, I'll have a cup of coffee, but, uh, you know. Oh, let's... there's a demon dog in the driveway. Uh, I should go outside <laughs> and check outside. Yeah, the black dog shows Re- up. It's followed Reggie, and then it's gone. Right. And then Mark throws the Hail Mary, which I appreciate, which is my dead girlfriend. Yeah, she wasn't that hot to begin with. Not like you. <laughs> it's the first impression i had was like mark was trying to get it in but like the conversation and their relationship later seems to hint elsewhere yeah this scene turns on a dime to be actually very interesting it ends with the poetic i got away but i still got maimed yeah great great line are people in movies either a serial killers that never sleep or b (laughs) Do they have the worst coffee? Because the amount of movies where it is late at night and someone comes in for coffee and then they proceed to actually drink coffee yep. is in, is infuriating to my body clock. Like I have like a like watching people drinking coffee at midnight makes me physically fucking ill. That was how people hooked up before the sort of craft beer boom and every place having like a cool bar to hang out at. It's like <laughs> it's a Tuesday night, let's go to like Anchor and Times craft beer symposium and we'll hang out here and get drunk (laughs) until 3 a.m. What we were led to believe in movies is like, hey, it's 11 p.m. Why don't you come to my place and have a cup of coffee was let's get us both awake again so we can have sex. (laughs) (laughs) Let's fucking get jacked up so you can jack me off. (laughs) They're talking, they're sharing their trauma, and she spots the adorable demon dog in... Uh, news clipping on Mark's crazy wall, and that never comes back. <laughs> yeah, that's the end of the dog's importance in the movie. It, what's great is that they end up in Mark's laboratory, and he's explaining sort of what he's been doing, and then we're, we're given Chekhov's emergency grappling system. <laughs> Chekhov's yes! grappling hook? Yeah, sure. <laughs> what's this? Uh, careful with that. That's our masterpiece. The emergency grappling system. The emergency grappling system? Yeah. My brother and I designed it for mountaineers, rescue teams, firemen. Fits on your arm, see? This is two movies in a row with crazy invention that comes back in the third act. Right. Two movies in a row. More effectively in this movie. Yeah, I was going to say, at least this one. This one actually this one. gets used. Yeah. It is very Batman. You shoot it, a little pin hits a thing, and you can wheel it back in. But there's a catch. You can only fire once. Which was also the big friggin' taser gun. He says it's a prototype, and they're waiting for a cable that can hold 200 pounds. But yet still, he's Velcroing this to his wrist. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't really matter about the cable it's it's more about the uh, what the Velcro can hold and really what your wrist can hold as you're falling off a cliff. Leo teaches him how to shoot a standee that says bad guy. Mark tells Leo, for the first time we're hearing about this, about a ghost quasar. What in the hell is a Q8? Quasar. It's a radio cell. It sends out radio signals instead of light. Okay. This one they call the ghost quasar because it pulses so irregularly. Twelve hours once every few years. So? Guess what the pulses coincide with. Oh, oh boy. A 
That's right. The the quasar, when it starts to pulse, is when people start to die. It, the god was imprisoned on a star. And so this idea is that, like, this is the star that Yag kothag is imprisoned on. And I guess when it pulses, then it has the ability to, like do things and kill people and create these ritual things that will then ultimately bring it back. Oh my god, I zoned out about everything regarding a quasar in this movie. Yeah, fuck. How yeah. dare you? Really? Because it's the entirety you? of the plot from here on out. <laughs> I learned in this movie that I don't need melatonin or anything. If I need to go to sleep, all you need to do is say quasar in a movie. <laughs> yes. And then I immediately get tired and sort of zone out. <laughs> Quay ASMR. <laughs> also, this is how long after Mark's experience in the cabin? Like, this ghost quasar thing seems to happen pretty regularly, like every couple of weeks. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we have no idea well, how long. Well, every couple of weeks and then not again for another century. Yeah. Right. As is explained later. This movie's, like, logic is kind of, like, to make an astronomer joke, Carl Sagan. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. That's beautiful. Yes. Boo me. (laughs) Leo dug up some records on Nash. Already did some checking on our friend Parker Nash, you know. And? Reggie's right. Man's clean, but the records on him stopped about 30 years ago. They just stopped? Yeah. He didn't exist before that time. That's not possible. You can't do that in a credit card society. He did it. Credit card society. (laughs) I do love credit card society. That's like when we say in the age of social media. Like, it's no different. It's no different. But meanwhile, Leo is warning mark about parker nash and also reggie but that doesn't stop reggie and mark from going out to a movie date continuing the proud tradition of promoting your old movies in your new movies the director's old movie the jet benny show what oh did not yeah. know that the, the only other movie that they, that that director made i believe oh, oh, it's wow. so that's so awesome <laughs> that's so rad and this scene goes nowhere. So apparently there was supposed to be a scene after where they get menaced by like a gang of street toughs. What? <laughs> because there's also like a whole subplot that was cut where they like go to a dojo and like learn karate. <laughs> what? What? Ugh. Awesome. They're supposed to become superheroes. The like original. Oh, right. The Batman Robin thing. Yeah. Yep. There's like a whole karate kid, I guess, aspect oh, of this God. that was totally nixed. And I'm bummed because I would have loved for the middle of this movie to have had a fucking fight scene out of nowhere no. in the back alleys of Houston like it's Lord of Magic. <laughs> It was a really lovely movie about about trauma. They get out of the movie theater and Mark like looks out and he says, "It's dark out there. It's uh, it's dark." Well, yeah. You okay? Now, yeah, fuck it. Let's go. And I was just like, yeah, he's psychologically damaged. He's scared of the dark. The next scene after that, Reggie's cooking at home and she like is slicing up a pepper with a butcher knife. Yeah. Which she said was her weapon to like fight off the monster. 
and she first seemingly thinks about cutting her own wrists and then swipes at something behind her. And there's nothing. There's nothing. Then the scene after that is Mark's upsetting dream sequence where he pictures Holly like as a deadite and saying, And I've decided to... Then opening up her stomach and the baby crawls out. Like, I was sad how often this movie tried to, like, spook me with a scary dog or, like, a wizard (laughs) battle. You're never going to do fun Evil Dead effects like Evil Dead. So every time they tried, it was a bummer. But all the other stuff was great. I mean, I understand what you're saying, but we could have continued to have a little bit of it and doubled down on exactly what you're talking about, the shared trauma stuff. But then where it gets lost is like in the next scene where we have Leo writing a letter for an entire scene. (laughs) Right. Excruciating detail. We see every second of that pen hit that page. This movie had writing action, licking stamps action, licking letter action. Asking what the difference is between the two entrees in the commissary action. (laughs) (laughs) He's writing a letter to the two characters he's been spending all his time with. (laughs) You just call. He could just call. He could that just letter call. is going to take way longer to get to them. <laughs> he would probably would have seen them the next day. I think it's the idea is that he knows he's going to die, and this is like, put it in the mail. It's like a temporary uh, copyright, right? It's, it's good. <laughs> right? And so he's like, this will definitely make it. Magicians can't go through your mail. That's illegal. <laughs> but uh, Leo is killed in front of his house. Um, Light, well, first lightning hits his car and makes it disappear. Yeah. So good. So he has no escape. And then he is killed by Monster Camp. And Mark wakes up screaming, Leo's in trouble. No, listen to me. You're dreaming. Leo's in trouble. He feels a great disturbance in the force. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, he's his lost mentor. his Kenobi. He's, he lost right. his mentor. He's too late. Leo's already been killed. Mark finds out from a uh, doctor at uh, somewhere that the next pulse of the quasar is next Thursday. And Reggie is triangulating the murders, but can't find a connection until Mark walks (laughs) over and points out the obvious pentagram on the map. It is glaringly obvious. (laughs) Yeah, the fact that it's like it is the most perfect pentagram Ever. Yeah. in movie history and they're just like I don't know it, it, I just don't understand what's the connection what could it be <laughs> Mark goes through the book and explains that yeah he's an ancient god so incredibly awful that the other gods ganged up on him imprisoned him on a star the quasar exactly and his cultist what few of them remain have been trying to bring him back ever since what happens after that There is no after that. Not for the human race, anyway. The center of the pentagram is Parker Nash's office on Rosewood. (laughs) Amazing. Amazing. So Houston-centric. So, like, (laughs) you have to know Houston to really understand this movie. So they drive up to Nash's house, guns a-blazing. Mark looks like a redneck Elmer Fudd. And they wait for the pulse to happen. With a literal ticking clock. <laughs> there is a clock next to them that is ticking. Oh, yeah. Very loudly. Yeah. <laughs> really small and right in the center of frame. 
and it's so loud. Earlier in the movie, Reggie said she escaped by crawling into a crawl space, and the crawl space has been boarded up because Parker learns from his mistakes. <laughs> and so they're going to spend the night in military fatigues, armed, ready to kill whoever walks into this place. <laughs> And Mark experiences the hallucination of seeing his baby crawl from the fireplace. <laughs> oh, awesome. Right. In a scene that was awesome, that was so cool, so well lit, so genuinely creepy. It was not quite gremlins, but it was more than ghoulies. It was somewhere in between those two. There was a bit more manipulation of the like hand digits yep. than I expected from this like cheap movie. So Mark... And Reggie fight the zombie. The same zombie from uh, the first attack from right. Mark's Mark cabin. Off, yeah. It is just Walter Donovan from The Last Crusade after having chosen poorly. <laughs> but he, but just... he put on a bolo tie. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like Grandpa from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. <laughs> right. And they fight him in the fights. Pretty good. Like, it's pretty all right. They see a light and they're like, all right, on three. One, two, and then the zombie attacks on two. Awesome. <laughs> so good. And then Mark shoots it and it just falls over. And Reggie says, That's it? That's all there is to it? Yeah, I guess so. We got it. We got it. And then it gets up, slaps Reggie to the other side of the room and starts Hell choking yeah. Mark. And then she hits it with an axe. Mark ends it with uh, a fire poker. The whole thing is underscored with this music from like a silent movie accompaniment. It's like a really overzealous baseball organist. It's like <laughs> like the announcers like stalling for time as they're like figuring out a play. They're like. Because Mark has pinned him to the ground through his heart with a fire poker. They think they've gotten away, and so they start to drive away. And then we get like a five minute scene with the zombie who is just sort of like walking through the woods trying to find them. Well, it's great because they're fighting him in the house and it is abject, total darkness. So then when they leave the house, it's full on middle of the morning sunrise. Of course, the zombie isn't dead. We pan up from like its feet and the, the zombie like spikes the camera yeah. as if to say like, you knew where this was going, guys. And then somehow <laughs> has ended up in front of them. I thought that scene was great because for a moment, like with every other character in this movie, we're meant to be like psychically close with the zombie. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> like for a scene, we get the zombie's point of view, which is just like I'm, you know, hunting these kids day and night. This is this is, this is crazy. Slugging through the woods, and then in the Ford Bronco, they run the zombie down, and from the point of view that we get, they they hit that actor with a car. <laughs> not, this is not an effect they straight up ran that actor in zombie makeup down like a little bit they didn't like kill him but they got close and then mark says it's not dead yet get the gas but i hit it with a fucking car i got hit with a car i'm still living get the gas 
So awesome. It's so, so good. good. Listen, I wish more horror characters had that kind of logic. It's brilliant. Right. <laughs> he pulls out the gasoline, douses it, and then uses a lighter that he got from Holly, which we've never right. seen no, before. No, we saw it, no, scene, we saw it at the yeah, beginning of the movie. Yeah, during poker. When he, in poker, we had a close-up. <gasps> He's fidgeting with he it. he was fidgeting with it, and it's like, love you forever. Love Holly. All right, fair enough. Promise fair I enough. won't ever die. Love Holly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if I die, I hope you avenge me, Holly. <laughs> <laughs> Complaint rescinded. Reggie and Mark go to a motel. They sort of chill out after having just what they think is kill a zombie. And again, it's the scene of the movie that I thought was perfect. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. This is the movie you want. Is the this scene. is the movie yeah. I want, which is he's on like an adrenaline high. He's going <laughs> fucking nuts. She says my favorite piece of dialogue yes. in the movie yes. because yes. it makes no goddamn sense whatsoever, but it felt very natural, which is she says, would you stop sounding like the mighty Thor for a minute and make some sense? Such as. <laughs> <laughs> which makes no goddamn sense. <laughs> At all. And this scene, she admits that she loves him. And in a lesser movie, he would have been like, I love you too. But he's like, what? Love me? I can't love you. What are you talking about? (laughs) I've lost that ability to love anyone. (laughs) And she has imprinted on him, whereas he is still all adrenaline, all like vengeance. I was so goddamn into this scene. I was so down with the fact that this movie just didn't lean on the lazy like, oh, we're male and female leads, so we love each other now. But I also like the subtext of she feels whole again. She's accomplished what they set out to do, which was kill this monster. And it's clearly never going to be over for him. Yeah. He is going to be fighting these demons for the rest of his life. Forever even. (laughs) (laughs) The moment when he pulls out the huge stack of dynamite, you're like, this, this is a crazy person. Yeah. <laughs> oh, this guy has, has lost his fucking marbles and not in a metaphorical way. Like, he ain't got no marbles. <laughs> right. When you have Wiley Coyote TNT, there's no subtext <laughs> left anymore. But just as quickly as this scene starts, it is over because yeah. he goes to take a shower, I guess. Bad idea. Awful idea. Never take a shower in this, this movie. And he gets stabbed. He turns around. He's got a knife in him. And the charred zombie is standing behind him. Not just any knife, the dagger. The dagger. Yeah. Oh, is it the dagger? Yeah, that's the oh, dagger. Yeah. That explains it. Okay, thank you. Yes. That's what okay. that's why he can yes. get killed with it later. Yes, okay, Spoiler thank alert. you. That explains Spoiler. it. I was so confused. Bullets don't yeah, work, but, but this, this random knife. No no no, it's the dagger of Yog Kothag. <laughs> it starts uh lurching toward Reggie, but finally we get Chekhov's grappling gun. Yes. He uses it to grab the zombie and it is actually badass. pull it back towards him. Yeah, it's sweet. Reggie manages to get away, and he pulls the knife out of himself and stabs the zombie with it. That scene ruled. Correct. Then Reggie goes to face down Parker Nash, the realtor, (laughs) at his office park, sees the dog outside the office, you know, so you know that the dog was worth having in the whole movie. (laughs) And then Reggie faces down Parker Nash, who reveals himself to be... A, a Bond villain. A Bond villain, yeah. <laughs> Yog Kothag, Miss Osborne. He's coming back. And I am bringing him. Can you imagine how utterly grateful he will be? Already he's made me immortal, granted me certain powers. He's not coming back, Nash. We've blown your timetable to hell. <laughs> and what if you have? Another century means nothing to me. 
and it's just a few seconds to a being like my master. When she shoots him, and he like looks down at his chest, and he sees the three bullets, and he goes, <laughs> "Nice grouping." It was like a great little villain moment. And the moment when he's like, very few things can kill me, it did feel like, and all of the ones that will, I will tell you about right now. Right. (laughs) (laughs) He needs to kill her with terror, not boredom, so he's not doing a very good job. (laughs) Yeah, he does do a lot of villain monologuing, and a thing he says is, You know, I really am enjoying all this. For so long, I've had to keep my light under a bushel, so to speak. No one has ever said that before in in the history of the world. Keep my light under a bushel is not a saying. I love a good white-collar criminal cult leader who's just like, you know, I'm a busy man. I can't just go around killing people. (laughs) Between squash and dinner with the missus, who has the time anymore? Right. They're still an hour posting on the quasar. So in that time, if he kills both Reggie and his secretary who's late to work in fits of terror... (laughs) Then, then he can accomplish what he needs to summon Yog Kothag. <laughs> and here is my favorite shot of the film. She throws a rock at his head, and his <laughs> eyes glow, and he makes the rock float around his head in this amazing stop-motion insanity, and then throws it back at her. So good, not in the way that it is photorealistic, but in the way that it feels tangible and like. Uh, I could imagine the artists who were like, oh my god, how are we going to make this rock float around this guy's head? (laughs) And And then figuring it out. They were like, all right, like, let's buy five seconds of Jan Svankmeyer. <laughs> His head looks like a carnival game. That would have made sense if, like, the rock turned into, like, yarn at a certain point. <laughs> yeah. then... It started eating him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I loved this ending so much. He reveals that the zombie that they'd been battling was someone he had killed years ago. The father of the family that he murdered. He tosses her the letter from Leo, which is his birth certificate, uh, which says he was born in 1874. How did he get it? This is addressed to Mark. How did you get it? Magic. (laughs) Right. And, And again, all of this is very mirrored in the case of Charles Dexter Ward. Again, this is the one Lovecraft novel I've read. And maybe the, the one Lovecraft novel that the writer of this movie has read. But it works because it is about a guy who is calling back people who have died to do his bidding. But Mark dispatched that zombie. So, you know, when you lose one good worker, what do you do? You replace them. And so. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> Employer evil. <laughs> so, who should walk in? But Mark, who has seemingly been taken over by the power of Parker Nash, realtor. <laughs> <laughs> but he wasn't accounting for. <laughs> Love? Love? I guess. Something. Stubbornness? I think it's stubbornness. A chip on his shoulder? Pure Texan energy? Or, yeah. <laughs> Big T energy. <laughs> because Mark isn't completely under control of uh, Yag Kothag. Yag Kothag. So in a monster voice, he warns Nash that there's a danger in the room. And Nash is just flippant like, oh, there's no danger here. But he pulls the dagger out and stabs him with the 
dagger of yug. Did anyone that? write down what he said? What did he say? It's right here, asshole. Gotcha. <laughs> sick. It's sick. He collapses or something? Like, what happens here? Well, because the power of... of- I'm assuming Parker Nash is what's keeping him alive. So uh, once yeah. he's now like killed him, he's lost the necromantic power that was holding him up. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Reggie drags him out, and this is the opening of the movie. The most baffling right. book ending I've ever seen. It lends nothing. Like it, it, it it's purposeless. No, I would disagree. <laughs> because as made zero sense, but some comedic sense to shadow creature. <laughs> What makes perfect sense here is like cosmic horror, the ultimate message is that this is all a loop. There's no winning. It doesn't mean Yogg-Kathug has been (laughs) defeated. It's just this one little play that we humans have had some sort of effect in that means nothing to the ultimate power of Yogg-Kathug. Yogg-Kathug. But it's not quite over. Right, cause we, and we see the ultimate power of that Yogg-Koth. Yep, because we hear Yogg-Koth say, <laughs> Worm, thou hast failed me. And then we see Nash falling into a starry abyss <laughs> with the greatest final where are they now card. Yeah. <laughs> Somewhere a man named Nash is screaming. Roll credits. It's so good. It's awesome and creepy. What this movie does at its end, which is like, if there's anything redeeming about Lovecraft's writing, it is that it leaves you with a sense that ultimately the actions of the main characters you've been following, while important to their story, is not really important to the greater story. And ending this movie with Parker Nash falling into oblivion and then a title card that says, somewhere a man named Parker Nash is screaming. It left me with that. It left me with the sense that it's like, oh, fuck, this, <laughs> the world's <laughs> fucked, yo. The universe is <laughs> fucked. Yog Kathog, Yog Kuthag, he's gonna win. Yog COVID-19. <laughs> yeah! Topical. Topical. Rip off report card. The Forever Evil ripoff report card is brought to you by the Necronomicon. If it's dead, you'll want to make sure it's evil dead. (laughs) (laughs) Forever Evil is the story of a handful of people fighting off the forces of evil in the form of an ancient Sumerian demon. But it's also the story of so many no-budget auteurs who, when the VHS boom was in full bloom decided to pick up a camera and bring their big dreams, or realistically, their low to medium-sized dreams, to the small screens. As is often the case, these people made something and continued with their lives afterwards, either hoping Hollywood would call or simply returning back to life as they knew it before. Thankfully, writer Freeman Williams, while having no further feature writing credits, did continue in the world of film criticism and wrote a lengthy recap of his experiences making this singular low-budget oddity. So while we cannot discuss the lasting legend of the makers of the film, we can discuss the lasting legend of the making of the film. 
whether the filmmakers were aware or not, it was common in the direct-to-video days to front-load a film. At film markets, it wasn't uncommon for prospective buyers to pop in a tape and see what goods lie within the first 10 to 30 minutes or so, but would rarely watch the full movie. So it kind of makes sense why the first 30 minutes of this movie are totally batshit and everything you want to see. And then it settles into a procedural. <laughs> In the original VHS release of the movie, the scene where Magnus, the fortune teller, is reading the tarot cards of Mrs. Weinberger was in fact the cold open happening before the credits. The tarot card scene was also originally a standalone sequence shot before the making of the movie for the film's eventual distributor, United. United gave the writer and director $1,000 to produce a a 10-minute demo reel to show that they could in fact make a scary movie, and director Roger Evans chose to shoot something entirely new rather than a sequence from the film. Huh. This ended up in the film, but was supposed to happen 45 minutes in, which is where we ended up seeing it, having watched a YouTube rip of the restored DVD versus the original open on the VHS. Makes Hmm. so much sense. Originally, the script was too short. Uh, It clocked in at about 60 pages, and so Friedman Williams decided to sort of flesh it out. And when they did the table read, it ended up at three and a half hours, which gives you a sense of why this stands at a bloated two hours in the final cut. Jesus. Apparently, some of the rewrites that were taken out concerned a modular storyline heavily involving the emergency grappling system. (laughs) In case you had any more questions about it. During the pre-production of the movie, United actually also picked up the rights to a movie called Terror at Ten Killer, and they wanted a new soundtrack, so writer Freeman Williams and company re-looped the entire movie. He does not recommend seeking it out. Williams and cinematographer Horatio Hernandez ended up doing the Foley for this entire movie, which was almost entirely done on a two-track, three-quarter-inch tape deck and one mic for two weeks in Hernandez's second-floor apartment. Apparently, one of the hardest scenes ended up being the near-throwaway scene of Leo writing a letter. (laughs) What? Because because he said, (laughs) writing the letter, putting it in an envelope, putting on a stamp, etc., all had separate specific sounds that were so closely grouped together that it would be near impossible to start and stop the tape in time <laughs> in a way where that would make sense. Oh, my God. Oh, wow. And unbeknownst to them, United ended up changing the soundtrack anyway, cutting down scenes and squashing sound effects, effectively creating a slightly out-of-sync movie, mm. which the makers only learned upon first renting the film on street date at their local Houston-area video store. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh. Ultimately, Forever Evil became one of United's best-selling videos. So, after all the headache, at least we know that this particular evil is forever. <laughs> Maybe Forever yeah. Evil was the was the monsters we met along the way. <laughs> Rip off report card. Classmates, that 
was Forever Evil. So, as with all assignments here at Video High, what could end up on the final test? I would say that, like other movies we've seen, the problem was just that these filmmakers seemed to have a sense that they could only make one movie, so they fit everything in. <laughs> Unfortunately, they were right. Yeah. <laughs> They, they fit so much into this movie when I think somewhere deep down there is like a really brilliant movie in here. Nowhere is that more obvious than in the line, rise and shine, Mark. It's time to go zombie hunting. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I think my takeaway is almost exactly the same. Filmmakers, pick a lane and stick to it. <laughs> yeah. How dare you? <laughs> so hard to disagree. All my favorite movies are like, it's all lanes. It's an eight-lane highway, <laughs> and that fucking Bronco is just going all over the place. I would say never include a word in your title that disparages the length of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> Don't give us so much fodder, guys. Like... <laughs> When he's imprisoned on a quasar, makes no difference who you are. Yago Thag will send a cultist to murder you. <laughs> I love the Jamie song. Uh, magic is real. <laughs> Thank you so much to our teacher, Philip Marlowe, Seth Applebell of Ghost Funk Orchestra, and Gabriella Tessitore of Scout Harris for our theme music, Justin Ferrero of the Rizzos for bed music and sound mixing, and Sheer for our logo. And the entire Video High crew, Greg Hansen, Jamie Kennedy, Casey Regan, and me, Josh Roth. Next time on Video High, Schlocktober concludes with Haunted Ween. Listen on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The three R's, more like the three R's! <laughs> <laughs> Library, more like Library! <laughs> I gotta go catch this running joke that's that's running around. <laughs> up, up, up in, in your, your ears. ears. Podcast Network. <laughs>